Thank you, Lord, for this reckless love that leaves the 99. And thank you, Stacy and TJ, worship team. Um, at the last minute today, um, they stepped in to lead because poor Steve, God bless his soul, threw out his back. Please be in prayer for Steve. We're praying for him to recover and just so thankful for our team who steps up. TJ exchanged his bass for an acoustic and they're, they're here, so thank you. And we're praying for Steve too. So good morning, Wellspring family and friends, those of you who are here, those of you who are online, um, it's good to be worshiping with you today on this Father's Day as we go into yet another aspect of the cross of Jesus. And um, I'd like to invite you with me into a story that happened not that long ago, and it's one that continues to unfold right here locally. He was just 16 years old when he was shot at multiple times through the back of the stolen car he was driving on Kalakaua Avenue. He was in a chase with police. Medical records show that these bullets entered his heart, his brain, and his spinal cord, killing him instantly. He was 16 years old. After his death, dozens of leaked juvenile arrest reports reveal a painful history. Is this just? Was he getting his just desserts, dying at that age, that way? What about the police going about their business that night who shot at him? They had been following, chasing this car that was associated with a string of violent crimes over the last day and thought they saw a gun. A grand jury made up of local citizens decided not to return indictments on any of the officers, that what they did was according to protocol and justified. So the officers went back to work this week, and in the middle of the week they were going about their business at home or at work when they got the news that they were being charged with murder by the state prosecutor. Is this fair? Are they getting their just desserts? Earthly justice can be frustrating. It is worth running after, something that scriptures in the both Old and New Testament, literally hundreds of them, affirm. But the sense that we get of whether something is just or not really depends on who's looking, doesn't it? Depends on your history, your experience, your vantage point. And sometimes, even with our best efforts, justice is not done. There are people that have languished in prison or been executed who later on, DNA evidence exonerates them. Turns out the eyewitnesses who pointed them out were wrong. A survivor can go on to have their day in court only to receive their attacker receive a paltry sentence. Issues of justice. Who is guilty? Who is innocent? What do we do with it? can be deeply unsatisfying, with no clear resolution and an unsure of a proportionate response. We can get caught in cycles, too, of punitive justice or a tit-for-tat sort of action and reaction. As Canadian comedian Jason Jones says, justice is blind until she gets the person that blinded her. Then it's payback time. Come on, it's a little funny. Justice is a heavy topic. What jokes do we have about it? Almost none. That was it. That was your justice joke. <laughs> so 
So today, yes, we're continuing on in our summer worship series, Cruciformed, and we're living and learning from the shadow of the cross, letting Jesus' work on the cross really just work itself deep into our souls, so forming who we are and how we are. And last week, Pastor Cheryl gave a really moving message. I actually cried on the way home as I was thinking about her message. Um, really powerful message on the godlessness of the cross and how since God is even there in that place of godlessness, in this place of a curse, we can trust that no place, no curse, nothing we can ever suffer is outside the realm of God's reach, rescue, and restoration. Today we're going to zoom out for a little bit and we're going to briefly touch on three movements um, of God that people, Bible scholars and teachers have seen throughout scripture and in the cross. I call it God's just fathering. We're gonna look at these three broad movements as we briefly touch upon these three aspects of God's fathering, specifically having to do with God's justice, God's righteousness. Now, our English words justice and righteousness sound really different from each other. We have really different connotations of things that come to mind. When I hear the word righteous, I think of like a moral code, or I think of being good. When I hear the word justice, I think of something entirely different. And here in our English language, you know, it might come as a surprise then that in Hebrew and Greek languages, these two words, righteousness and justice, are often used interchangeably. The Hebrew word tzedakah means to be just, be made right, bring justice, save, make righteous, justify, or rectify. This word is used all throughout the Old Testament, and sometimes it's translated into our English as justice, and sometimes it's translated as righteousness, just depending on the text and what the biblical translator was feeling. Now, the Bible that Jesus, or that was used in the early church, was the Septuagint. Now, that was the scripture that was translated. They translated all the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. So the Apostle Paul, when he's quoting, he's often quoting the Septuagint. And what they did is they took this Hebrew word, tzedakah, and they translated it into a one-word one family, dikaios. And this has many, many different words. In fact, over 300 words in the New Testament. But if you were going to go just Google justice and see what popped up in your English Bible, very few verses would pop up. And yet this word used for justice is used over 300 times. Now, this is really just an English problem. If you were to go to like a French Bible or a Spanish Bible, they just translate it as justice. So when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, after justice, after righteousness, for they will be filled, we automatically think the word righteousness. And yet, in the Greek, it's the justice word family. And if you were reading in French or Spanish, it would say justice. So I don't know why, but somehow our English translations have not carried this thought through as well as we could have. Now, why am I telling you this? It's not because I'm trying to get us into conspiracy theory or anything. It's just because I want us to have a biblical understanding that God's justice and God's righteousness in Scripture are essentially part of the same thing. So like if we were thinking about a Venn diagram, they would be significantly overlapping. Sure, there's some distinctions, but there's also vast overlapping. So these are qualities of God that aren't static. Like, they're not just a description of God. What's so cool about our God is that pretty much any quality that God is, 
God also does. So if God is love, God also is loving. If God is merciful, God does mercy. God is just. That means God does justice. What's so cool is that the idea of justice or righteousness in the Hebrew scriptures is less of a noun than it is a verb. It refers to the power of God to make things right. Make right what has been wrong. So with that word history in mind, let's get into our main text for the day. So if you want to pull up Hosea 11 on your phone, I think we have some sermon notes somewhere here in the room. If you're online, there should be a link in the chat section. Um, I I did sort of like an abridged version for the notes because I wanted to keep them all on one page. But I'm going to read you the unabridged version on Hosea 11. But before I do that, and while you're scrolling in your phone or or moving the the pages of your Bible, I just want to ask you this question. When you think of God the Father, what do you picture? What image or picture comes to mind? For me, it's easier to picture Jesus, right? Jesus is human. We have all these artist renditions of Jesus in in different cultures and different colors. It's easy for me, easier for me to picture Jesus. Picturing the Holy Spirit, kind of hard, right? Which is why sometimes artists show Holy Spirit as like a dove or water or oil, these representations of the Spirit. But God the Father, who is not a man, who is not a person, uh, like a human like us, is a spirit. How do you picture someone who is not a ghost or a person or a man, but whose reality shapes and pervades the universe, who is a very real being? I don't know about you, that's kind of a tall order. So for many years, I just pictured what Gary Larson depicted in The Far Side. This sort of old character that looks like Dumbledore or Gandalf. And here's um, this picture. Oops, here's our definition of justice. Let me move on. Here's this picture of Gary Larson's A Far Side of God at his computer. This is kind of how I used to picture God when I was a little kid reading comics at my grandparents' house. He's kind of like this, this elderly man, long white beard. You might not be able to see it very well, but there's like, he's at a computer and there's a button that says smite. He's ready to press it. And on the screen is a little guy with a huge piano about to fall on him. This is how I pictured God. God is ready to smite. And God looks like this much elderly, um, white-haired dude. So that's how I pictured God the Father for many years. I don't know how you pictured him, but I want us to be invited into God's own self-description because God has God's own self-description we can see all the way through Old and New Testaments. This one's from Hosea 11. Let's just get right into it. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, that's the children of Israel, I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king. 
because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me to the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zemboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come to destroy. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So number one in your notes, God's just fathering includes loving pursuit. Number one in your notes, God's just fathering includes loving pursuit. We see this moving picture painted of parent and child. God is like a single dad in it. He's holding his infant to his cheek, their skin to skin. He's bending low to feed them their mushy food, teaching them to walk. And yet as this child grew, they went away and away, harming each other following other gods, other kings, other ways that cause them harm. And this results in God's, verse 9, fierce anger. The outrage of God. Why are you doing this? Why are you hurting each other? As any parent who has multiple children who've ever gotten a fight will be able to attest. Stop hurting each other! That makes me really mad as a parent when my kids fight. Why are you doing that? We have here God's outrage and God's love, the same thing together. Because God loves, God is like, why are you running away? Why are you choosing that when you could be with me and you could be together? They ran after these violent gods and ways. They exploited their poor instead of caring for them. They even sacrificed their little ones to live by the values of the gods and goddesses around them. Someone could argue that God would be in God's just desserts. God would be within God's rights to hand them over and say, you know what, just reap what you've sown. Go ahead, that's gonna happen to you. You can stew forever in the mess that you made. But God's just fathering doesn't want to let them go, the one God loves. God lovingly pursues to rectify, to make right. This is God's justice, God's righteousness in action. I will not come to destroy you. The prophet records the words of this loving father. You see, the righteousness or justice of God isn't like a judge who just like hands out sentences from the bench. Rather, it's in the very nature of God from the very beginning to step down, to stoop low, and pour God's self out in unquenchable compassion, in loving pursuit. If you're going to keep reading the book of Hosea, you'd see at the end of this chapter, God perseveres in loving kindness until God's children follow him back again. The prophet sees a day that they'll all be scattered and sees a day that they will return home as God becomes a homemaker and sets them, the vulnerable, in homes. So friends, today my question for you is this. In what areas of your life might you need to return 
to your heavenly Father? In what areas of your life do you need to return? Where do you need to experience the loving pursuit of God and turn back to God? Maybe you need to return to God in your work. Maybe there have been situations that weren't very ethical or could be more just. Maybe you need to return to your loving papa in the way that you grandparent or parent as you seek to be gentle and care well for those entrusted to you. Maybe you need to return to your father by changing around how you spend your time. Maybe you've been neglecting your inner life and your soul. God is the just judge who judges God's own self rather than you. You can come home to this loving embrace. Perhaps you need to come to, to God, your father, today with your father wound, right? Father's Day can be really hard for people that didn't know their dad growing up or had a really difficult relationship with their dad. It can be hard for those of you who've lost your fathers, your fathers have passed away, or those you no longer have a relationship with. Today, your heavenly father is lovingly pursuing you. You can come as you are with your wounds in hand to this one who stoops low to care for you. You see, unlike the cartoon of that, that white-bearded gentleman ready to hit the smite button, God has an entirely different way of making things right in the world. So we see God's just fathering in loving pursuit. In number two in your notes, God's just fathering also includes aggressive action. God's just fathering includes aggressive action. And we might not like that very much. I mean, I don't know about you, but I do not enjoy aggressive sales tactics. Whenever I felt pressured into buying something, I have like stubbornly resisted. There was a car that I really wanted to buy a while ago, but they were so intent on me buying it that I like didn't want to buy it anymore. I was like, mm -mm, too aggressive for me. I'm going to be stubborn. <laughs> we might not enjoy some kinds of aggression, and some of them are simply not healthy, right? Aggressive drivers, that's not safe. And aggressiveness can be a quality that manipulates or harms others, but there are moments in life where aggressive action is called for. When I was in fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Allen, was kidnapped by extremists when we were on summer holiday. Actually, it was spring break, spring break, because we came back to school and we had to have a sub. We wanted aggressive action. We wanted someone to come in and rescue her. And in the end, God must have somehow intervened because she was released 10 days into her kidnapping. She was not unharmed. She was alive. And she wound up coming the year later back to our missionary school in the Philippines and teaching elementary school again for many years until she retired. She was an amazing woman. Somehow she experienced God's aggressive action working for her. And that was very welcome. Sometimes love requires aggressive action. I'm reminded of this security video that went viral a couple weeks ago. I think we might be able to show it, to share it with you today. Um, it's of this, this teenage girl in Southern California who got a little aggressive when it was called for. Do you think, Pat, we might be able to show that? If not, I can just describe it and tell you to Google it later. Yeah, 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 now it's good. Here we go. If you're listening to our podcast, there's a bear walking along a thin wall. This is a security backyard video. And some dogs come. Oh no! All the family's dogs come. The bear's like swatting at them. 
looks like a disaster. And here comes a teenage girl who pushes the bear off the ledge with her bare hands, picks up the baby doggies, and heads back in. Oh my goodness. Oh, my blood pressure went up watching that. Whew. Okay, that's some aggressive action, okay? And later on in interviews, this girl, um, she's 17 years old, her name's Haley. She's like, don't do that. Had I known it was a bear, I don't think I would have done that. I, I didn't know what it was. I just, you know, instinct recoiled. She acted aggressively, and sometimes that's called for. And God, your father, has taken aggressive action for you, too. There's this um, movie that I began watching a couple years ago and then I had to stop because it was a little too scary for me. It stars Liam Neeson and his teenage daughter in this movie is taken by human traffickers while on a holiday. And thankfully, this guy, you know, is like XCA, I think he's a like Green Beret or something. So he goes after her and, um, and after the people who took her. So there's one movie taken, and then people liked it, so there was taken two, and then taken three, and now there's like a TV show about it. I think everyone was really taken up by it. Oh, dad joke, dad joke. <laughs> it's Father's Day, we've got to have a dad joke. So it's about this dad that takes aggressive action and bad news, I mean, or good news, like everybody that took his daughter is like gone. <laughs> he eradicated them. He took aggressive action. So I want to invite you, sometimes when we talk about God's aggressive action, we can get a little like, ooh, you know, we're not as comfortable with it. We kind of resist it. And I think that's because so many of us have been wounded by humans who've taken aggressive action in ways that harmed us. I want to invite you into a text um, in the book of Isaiah. So this is a contemporary of Hosea. These two, these two guys are prophesying around the same time. So in the book of Isaiah, um, the prophet is describing a society that's not so different from ours. People, everything just had broken down. People were not caring for each other. It was deeply divided, very self-serving. Greed had displaced justice. The equity that flows out of right living is absent from their workplaces, absent from their marketplace, absent from their homes. And each side thinks they're doing it right. So the prophet paints a picture of God's aggressive action to make their community a place of justice and righteousness. Isaiah 1 verses 24 through 25 say this, therefore, because it's such a hot mess, therefore says the sovereign, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will pour out my wrath on my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. I will smelt away your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. Hmm, wonder what that means. So I wasn't quite sure, I looked it up, and the prophet is using a metalworking um, image here. And um, I watched a couple YouTube videos, because of course, how can I not, if I'm gonna read, if I'm gonna talk about metalworking, of these guys heating up um, this metal until it's super, super hot, and they're basically trying to, to purify it so that what's been mixed into it, that that makes it unhealthy. What's mixed in it can be removed. And then they hammer it. So you're, you're constantly heating and hammering, heating and hammering. And I'm thinking, wow, if that's being done to people, can you imagine that might not feel so great? Oh, the temperature's going up. It's hot and uncomfortable. I'm being, I'm being pushed outside my comfort zone. And yet this is the work, the aggressive action. If you've ever seen someone heat up and hammer a piece of metal, it looks aggressive. This is the aggressive action that God's people needed in order to become the place that God wanted them to be. 
The very next two verses say this, I will give you then, so this is after the high heat and the hammering, after the aggressive action, then I will give you good judges again and wise counselors like you used to have. Isaiah 1, 26, continue on in verse 7, 27. Then Jerusalem will again be called the home of justice and the faithful city. Sometimes God's just fathering includes aggressive action. And sometimes God works in your life in ways that feel less like loving pursuit and a little bit more in your face. It might mean a strong no. It might mean having doors keeping shut on you. It might be in the temperature going up in our public discourse and us having to listen to each other in ways that we have not done well. Like God did with Israel, God continues to work to free and release us from all the hold that injustice and sin has on us so we can be the good, life-filled community and people we're called to be. So my question for you is this. When have you experienced God's aggressive action in your life? Where would you like to see more of this in your life or your community? Where do you need God to free you? Where do you need God to turn up the heat a little bit? God knows we need this. Just put down a little note so you can continue it later, discussing in your small groups or journaling during the week. Let's move to number three in your notes. God's just fathering includes not just loving pursuit and aggressive action, but also apocalyptic intervention. Let me just say, that's really fun to say. If y'all wanna say it with me, number three, apocalyptic intervention. Isn't that great? It just like rolls off the tongue. What does it mean? <laughs> well, if you remember, at Christmas time, we talked about Christmas being a little apocalypse. How apocalypse in scripture has to do with revelation and something intervening and coming into our world and there being some kind of illumination. Sometimes we talk about apocalypse as something that will happen at the, like, the end of the world. And sure, there will be a lot being revealed then, right? Heaven's going to come down to earth to stay. There's a lot of God's power being revealed. But there are apocalypses all throughout Scripture and all throughout history. And God's just fathering includes this. The prophet Hosea, Hosea that we read at the beginning, describing God's loving pursuit. Later on, Hosea has this vision of God somehow healing them to a point, this is in Hosea 14 verse 4, the very end of the book, God somehow intervening in a way that their waywardness itself would be healed. No longer would they run away. That requires some apocalyptic intervention, someone coming from outside, God's power and grace being revealed in a way that they wouldn't have thought possible. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. And you guys, we are, we are hoping for the day, friends, we are longing for the day that God continues to intervene in ways that transform our cycles of injustice. God has already done that on the cross. God will one day do it in his completeness, but we're invited into that ongoing work of God now. And see, throughout the Old Testament, they start having this vision, right? They've, they've failed all these many times. There's been so much reaping and sowing, and it just seems so hopeless. And there starts to be this thread appearing through their, their writings, this thread of hope that one day there would be an intervention to end all interventions. And so when the angels burst on the scene to that group of shepherds that first Christmas Eve, 
you know, proclaiming their message from another sphere of reality. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. God the Father is presenting the Son to you. We have this inbreaking reality, this apocalyptic reality of God in Jesus given to us. And then we see Jesus is God's anointed one, the Messiah, initiating and completing God's rescue plan, the one that the prophets had dared to hope would exist. In Luke 4, Jesus said he came to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to preach the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' apocalyptic message. It's a message of justice and righteousness. And he fulfilled the scripture, friends, not by waging war, not by proclaiming himself as the new head of empire. He fulfilled it not by condemning the world, but by becoming the judged on the cross. This is a shocking and kind of immoral idea. It's very non-religious. Religion usually tells us, be good and good things will happen to you. That's sort of like what most religions tell us. And yet here we have the very goodness of God showing us the transformative way by becoming the judged, by becoming one of those deprived of his rights, by dying as one of those robbed of justice, God's son entered into the utmost extremity of humiliation and entered into total solidarity with those who are without help. Even more astonishingly, he underwent this humiliation and helplessness at the cross, not only for the victimized, but also for the perpetrator. Who would have thought that the same God who passed judgment would come under God's own judgment? By God's own choice out of God's own love. God in Christ on the cross has chosen to become one with those who are despised and outcast. All who are in need of God's deliverance, including victims and victimizers and those of us in whom the line runs right through us. We are both sinner and saint. This is God's apocalyptic intervention. It looks like the end, but it's just the beginning. So the question for you today, friends, is who can you share this good news with? Who can you share this good news, this revelation of God's way bursting into our world from another realm, coming from outside our system of tit-for-tat, punitive justice, to utterly transform, to restore? Because God's justice is always restorative. God's just fathering includes apocalyptic intervention. Who can you share this good news with? Although the passing of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1862 declared enslaved Africans free on southern soil, it couldn't be implemented in places that were still under Confederate control. Because it doesn't matter what the federal government you know, declares if the forces in that state say, no, 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 we're doing what we want. So as a result of that, many enslaved people were not freed from slavery until June 19th, a full 2.5 years later when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas and announced that the Civil War had ended and that those trafficked and enslaved, which were more than 250,000 people in that state, 
had been freed. So this is wonderful day. This word June and the um, combination of the word 19, June, Juneteenth has been celebrated by members of the black community for over 100 years. I did um, some, some digging on it this week and I was really excited to find this one photo. This is an, of an Emancipation Day celebration um, on June 19th in the year 1900. That's over 100 years ago. I love how dressed up they were. They're in Austin and they were celebrating Juneteenth. They're celebrating the day they were told they had been freed. Friends, imagine what this might have felt like to hear this in-breaking news from another realm. It would be life-changing. It was life-changing. God had heard their prayers. And the work of making things right has begun. Friends, you, you have heard life-changing news too good news of great joy in breaking from another realm. Our God of justice and righteousness has entered our world with power to make things right. Romans 3.26 says this, and Paul is talking about God the Father's work on the cross. He says, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies. I included the little Greek words there too, because I want to remind you, those are all part of the justice family. We could just as well translate this scripture. Why did, Je why did God send Jesus? Well, God did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be right and the one who rectifies. God loves so much that he has intervened, showing God's justice, his restorative justice and inviting us to be present in this work. Until the day, the day to end all days, that the earth and heaven are one. Until that day, we see Jesus' cross as the place where God's loving pursuit, aggressive action, and apocalyptic intervention collide, all here on the cross. Better than our just desserts could ever land us, this is how our God just fathers us. Amen. Let's pray. God, I'm reminded of the passage in Matthew. Um, Jesus, in your, you're telling people around you that even though they're evil, they know how to give good gifts to their kids. And you say something like, how much more will your heavenly father not give good gifts to those who ask? I thank you that you just father us wanting to give us every good gift and invite us into the ongoing work of justice and righteousness. Lord, in all the ways that we need you to transform our lives and our community, in all the ways that we need you to lovingly pursue us, take some aggressive action, and intervene in a powerful way that you would do that. We bring all of who we are before you we ask you to father us well. And if you're listening online and you just happen to click on this link, um, I'd like to invite you, if you want to make a step towards this, this God who loves you, who runs after you, who wants to free you and restore you, you can pray a simple prayer like this one. God, I have been following a lot of other things and people. 
I have turned away from your goodness for me. I turn towards you now. I turn towards Jesus, who has been judged for me on the cross, who knows exactly what it's like to be in a desolate place, and who also knows what it's like to love immeasurably. I come before Jesus now, and I say, come and be my king. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed a prayer like that, feel free to reach out to me or a member of the pastor team here at Wellspring. And for those of you who are here and you're going to continue celebrating Father's Day, may you know that your Godfather just wants to father you. Father you well. Amen.